1985, Sydney Pollock's adaptation of Out of Africa won seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Director, Screenplay Adaptation and Costume Design. Adapted from Karen Blixen's memoirs of her times in what was then called British East Africa, Pollock's film focused on the romance between the Danish Baroness and her British lover and big game hunter Dennis Finch Hatton. As such, it celebrated, without the slightest examination, European colonisation of Africa, studiously ignoring any questions that history may have posed since Kenya had secured its independence from Britain in 1963. Rather than addressing the imperialist mindset or even referencing the exploitation of colonised tribes, Pollock's film instead focused its attention on a love story of two people who, dressed in very fine linen, climb into their biplane and swoop down over the flamingos on Lake Nakuru. Swooning as Pollock's film is, it is nonetheless historically, culturally and politically hollow. Just how hollow could be seen the night Pollock's film swept the boards. In the foreign language category, several films examined in critical ways their country's past. From Argentina, Luis Puenzo's The Official Version. From Hungary, Istvan Zabo's Colonel Radl. From Germany, Anushka Holland's Angry Harvest. And from the then Yugoslavia, Amir Kusturic's While Father Was Away on Business. Despite its bloated vacuity, Out of Africa seduced audiences worldwide, earning over $225 million around the globe. And in its wake, a far better adaptation of another Blixen work, Babette's Feast, was not only made, but made it all the way to the 1988 Academy Awards, where it won the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Picture. Here is Danish writer and director Gabriel Axel accepting his statuette. It's the first time a Danish movie can take a, an Oscar home. And therefore, I say with um, Karen Blixen, like her General Lebenian, in this evening, I have learned that in the beautiful world of our, everything are possible. Blixen wrote both in Danish and in English, but in both stories she paid homage to a great source of happiness in her life, the music of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. In Out of Africa, Pollock lets us know this from the very opening voiceover. He even took the gramophone on safari. Three rifles, supplies for a month, and Mozart. In Babette's Feast, Axel faithfully adhered to Blixen's short story, devoting a lengthy flashback to feature the music from one of Mozart's most celebrated operas, Don Giovanni. Blixen specifically chose Mozart's Libertine as a contrast to her fictional Protestant community. There, Blixen invented a pastor who was so strict that although he is long since dead, his sermons still hold sway beyond the grave. His teachings all but demonised the carnal life, and as a consequence, no child has been born into the parish in decades. 
But then, into this isolated dying world comes a refugee, Babette Herson, whose husband and child were killed in the Franco-Prussian War. Babette spends years in the service of the pastor's daughters, Philippa and Martina, dutifully serving them near tasteless meals, which they insist are in keeping with the ascetic beliefs handed down to them by their austere father. But Babette was once a chef de cuisine at Paris's celebrated Café Anglais. And after 14 years of feeding the community, there arrives a miracle. Babette gets word from her home that she has won a lottery prize of 10,000 francs. Her sudden change in fortune coincides with the centenary of the pastor's birth. And after more than a decade of suppressing her gifts, Babette decides to mark the occasion by creating for the community a feast the likes of which they have never tasted. What Babette does is reintroduce them to the world of sensual pleasure. Many years earlier, Philippa had experienced a brush with it, but had, under the influence of her father, rejected it. In her youth, it was recognised that Philippa had a very fine singing voice possibly good enough for a career on the stage. An opera singer, Aquila Papin, came to give her tuition, and not only was he taken by her voice, he was smitten by her beauty. Their singing offers us a glimpse of how passionately Philippa might have lived her life if only she had been able to summon the strength to step away from her father's church and embrace the house of opera. Likewise, Martina. She had been courted by a young Swedish officer, Lawrence Lowenheim whose cosmopolitan charms were not enough to prize her away from the windswept village. And as a consequence, the two sisters now preside over the community, denying themselves almost every pleasure the physical world has to offer. Blixen's original prose is imbued with subtle and ironic comparisons that are quite difficult to recognise in the film. Consider for a moment from where Babette has fled. In July 1870, France's Emperor Napoleon III declared war on Prussia. But so catastrophic was his venture that not only did he fail to defeat Emperor Wilhelm's army, the Prussians won six successive and decisive battles to advance on and lay siege to the French capital. In the wake of that disaster, up sprang the Paris Commune, which advocated a political utopia. Now consider how Philippa and Martina's father preached a similar utopia, but one built on strict religious obedience rather than political equality. But so subtle is Blixen's original text that unless you are fully conversant with your late 19th century French history, you will scarcely find evidence of it in Axel's film. Consider how Blixen climaxes her story. She has Babette declare, I was a communard, thanks be to God I was a communard. And those people whom I named, mesdames, were evil and cruel. They let the people of Paris starve, they oppressed and wronged the poor. Thanks be to God I stood upon a barricade, I loaded the gun from my menfolk. But Babette didn't just load guns. She was a petroleuse 
a woman who set fire to houses with petroleum. But no such political radicalism is admitted in the film. Instead, Axel vacuums almost all of Blixen's social, historical and political references, leaving only the religious elements. Which is a great pity, if not a denial, of Blixen's intentions. Her father, Wilhelm Dienesen, wrote a lengthy treatise, Paris sur la Commune, in which he displayed his deep sympathy for its ideals. So, rather than Babette being portrayed as an exiled agitant, Axel's film presents a chef who serves an exquisite meal as an act of religious sedition, blasphemy if you will, tempting the parishioners with earthly delights that challenges their disavowal of all things carnal. For a film that venerates gastronomy, Axel made a rather curious decision to keep the visual style extremely restrained. Cinematographer Henning Christensen likes the food but never gorges over it. Likewise, the soundscape. Her Norgard's score is sparse and Michael Della's sound design is restricted to diegesis. So, mostly, all we hear is the sounds of nature, the wind along the coast, across the fields and through the cold houses. Dinners and banquets and the subject of food has <clears throat> fed many stories down through the ages. As far back as ancient Rome, Gaius Petronius wrote Satyricon, or the Book of Satyr-like Adventures, part of which recounts an epic banquet hosted by Trimalchio. Born a slave, Trimalchio bought his freedom and then secured his fortune as a maritime merchant. Eager to display his great wealth, Trimalchio invited his many friends and clients to his mansion her singing and dancing slaves accompanied the great feast. But Trimalchio overdid his hospitality and the guests could barely digest the twelve courses. Since then, we've had many authors who have written of the delights and dangers of the culinary arts. Lewis Carroll's The Mad Hatter's Tea Party, the Madeleine Biscuit dipped in tea from Marcel Proust's In Search of Lost Time, the mutton kidneys savoured by Leopold Bloom in the Calypso chapter from James Joyce's Ulysses. The French stew that Mrs. Ramsay has served up in Virginia Woolf's To the Lighthouse. And then there is the shepherd's pie and Madeira cake that J.R.R. Tolkien had the hobbits present to Bilbo Baggins on his 111th birthday. Cinema has followed suit with the likes of Juzo Itami's Tampopo, Alfonso Aro's Like Water for Chocolate, Ang Lee's Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, Stanley Tucci's Big Night, George Tillman Jr.'s Soul Food, Brad Bird's Ratatouille, and certainly the film that has the most unexpected ingredients and recipes, 
Peter Greenaway's The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover. Come on now. Open your mouth, open your mouth. I learned to appreciate your food. I compared to what you serve up in that dirty little canteen of yours. Yeah, this is a free store. Papa. You must, you must learn the rules. Eh? I need to eat and drink the very best, and that's expensive. Have you ever heard of chicken a la Marie, or oyster sauce Mornay, or frog's leg Parisienne? No. Of course you haven't. Yeah, I'll take his pants down. Take his Gabriel Axel was a sprightly 70 years old when he won the Academy Award. He made his directorial debut in 1951 on Danish television with Doden or Death a drama that had originally been written for the stage by one of Denmark's most celebrated writers, Kaj Munk. As well as a playwright, Munk was also a Lutheran pastor, whose life was cut short when the Nazis invaded his homeland. A vociferous opponent of fascism from as early as 1938, Munk had penned an open letter to Benito Mussolini, condemning him for the mistreatment of Jewish people. When the Nazis invaded Denmark, Monk bravely continued to deliver sermons denouncing Hitler's army. But on January the 4th, 1944, Monk was arrested and murdered and thus became a martyr to freedom. Several of his plays were adapted to the screen, the most celebrated undoubtedly of which was Ordette, or The Word, filmed in 1955 by Carl Theodore Dreyer. Like that other great Scandinavian auteur, Ingmar Bergman, Dreyer had a troupe of actors whom he regularly cast in his films. And when Gabriel Axel went to make Babette's Feast, he called upon several of them, Lisbeth Moven, Preben Lord of Rye, Axel Stroby, Bent Rota and Ebi Rode. But by far the film's most famous face is that of Babette herself, played by Stephanie Audrain. Audrain had burst onto the scene in the late 1950s with Les Cousins, written and directed by her then-husband, Claude Chabrol. A very gifted actress whose immense beauty often distracted audiences from the depth of her characters, it would appear that the role of Babette was the one Audrain had been waiting for all her career. Once again, Audrain used her beauty as a disguise. This time, to hide the great suffering Babette had endured during the Paris siege. Audrain's decision is an effective one because it mirrors perfectly how Babette concealed her culinary gifts. All this may suggest that the film is a door experience devoid of wit and humour. But if that were the case, Axel would have utterly failed to recognise the balance that Blixen had written into her story. Whereas in the first half of the film, the villagers' faces are almost pained with emotional restraint, when the feast is finally served, it is quite comical to see the community members try so very hard to resist admitting to the succulent tastes. And then that comedy turns to something quite touching, when they finally succumb and accept the sensuality of Babette's feast. Finally, this aging community embraces life, and they go outside into the chilly night where they dance.